0: From Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. All right, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 8, John chapter 8, we're going to be down in verse 30 in just a moment. And as I was working on this sermon, a movie scene that all of you have seen popped into my mind and we'll try to just report the movie scene without acting it out, right? Because I guarantee you, every last one of you have acted it out. and You just don't realize it yet. But when I say it, you will. It's a movie that stars Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. See, you've already got it. You already know the line before I even get to it, because you already know that you've uttered it. (laughs) You know the movie, A Few Good Men, and it is Tom Cruise is a trial lawyer, Jack Nicholson is a colonel, and uh, uh, Tom Cruise has him in the witness stand, and there's this intense back and forth that we know because they show Tom Cruise's hand shaking before he drinks the water, right? And he's looking at Jack Nicholson, and he's, he, he's trying to, to get the, the truth, and Jack Nicholson says, you want answers? And Tom Cruise screams, you know, I want the truth. And then that line we've all uttered in jest or insincerity, you know, you can't handle the truth, right? And as I was writing that and, and thinking about that and thinking about this section, it occurred to me that's exactly what is going on. Jesus is standing in, in the middle of the temple teaching. And he is teaching truth. And what he is confronted with is a whole bunch of people who can't handle the truth. (laughs) Right? He's standing, he he, he stood up in the middle of the temple when they were pouring the water out on the rock and said, I'm the rock. I'm I'm the living water. He's standing there underneath the the golden, not the golden lampstand, but the lamps, the colonnades out in the the, the temple of of the women. And he, he says, I am the light of the world. He's telling them the truth and the people around it. They don't want to accept the truth. They can't handle the truth that is before them. But Jesus keeps teaching. He keeps talking to them. He keeps explaining to them who He is, what His mission is, how the Father has sent Him, how if they will believe in Him, And if they believe in the Father like they claim they will, they will believe in Him, they will believe in His mission, and they will come and they will embrace the truth. And that truth will lead them to salvation. As Jesus continues teaching then, He gets to this passage beginning, and we're going to read verse 30, but really in verse 31, where He discusses the relationship or the connection between truth, and being a believer. Because truth impacts our lives as believers. And Jesus is going to make that very clear to us. So let's begin in verse 30, because the first word of verse 31 is so, which means you've got to go back up at least one verse to see what he's talking about. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, as we read through that passage, I think you hear Jesus, that, that constant refrain of, I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you the truth. And, and the Jews, just the Pharisees refusing to believe the truth. They can't accept the truth. So this morning, as we talk about that, and as we want to see what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and and our relationship with the truth, I just want you to notice three connections. And the first one is this, disciples abide in truth. Disciples abide in truth. Verse 30, it says that people came and they believed in him. So verse 31, Jesus says to the Jews who had believed in him. He says to them, if you abide in me, you are my disciples. Now, when you read this verse, and we didn't read all the way down to 59. Let's just jump to 59 just for a minute, okay? It says, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Picking up stones means they're going to kill him. We have a a problem. And the problem is, in verse 31, he says to those who believed, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. By the time we get to verse 59, the very same ones in verse 31, we're told believed are picking up stones to kill him. I don't think that's a definition of discipleship. (laughs) That's not usually what you do. So when we're reading this, we're going, all right, what's, how do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of what Jesus is saying? We're told that that people have believed in him. But for us to understand what this means, we've got to kind of remember what has happened beforehand. All the signs, all the miracles, right? And we've been told that people have seen the signs, they've seen the miracles, and, and they believe based on seeing the miracles. But at the same time, we've been told that these people are really, it's a a tenuous faith. Because in that moment, they see, and in that moment, they believe. But even though that they believe the miracle, right? They saw the feeding of the 5,000, what happened? They believe. What happened immediately after that? What sign are you going to perform (laughs) that we can believe? Wait a minute, you just believe. Now there's another sign. It's a faith based on sign, but it's not a genuine saving Faith, yes, it can lead to that, but it is apparent that Jesus' miracles at the moment are not. His teachings are not, right? You're not believing in the truth. I'm telling you the truth. You don't believe in the truth. And so what we need to understand is there is a belief that we can have about Jesus that does not lead to a saving belief in Jesus. And you can see this even today, right? Sadly, there there are many people who, who would say, yes, Jesus is a historical human being. And it's something that just completely boggles my mind. You can go to many quote unquote seminaries or theological colleges where people believe that Jesus was a physical and historical human being, but then the rest of everything they teach are going, um. I'm not sure that we're talking about the same Jesus anymore because your Jesus doesn't save. (laughs) They know about Jesus. They can recite facts about Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. Same thing here. They they, they got the evidence in front of their eyes, but they're not embracing the truth of Jesus' mission. And that's dangerous. Because again, when you go through and read the Gospels, Jesus is an—I mean, he is a compelling personality, is he not? I mean, let's let's just for a moment. I always hate to, to, to do these things because I feel like I might get stoned. For a minute, let's set aside the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, okay? And just go through and read Jesus as a historical figure. There are a lot of things a lot of things that jesus does that many americans we can appeal to in fact we would attach many american idioms to jesus right man jesus he went to the temple and he bucked the system we like people who buck the system right he drove out the the money changers he spoke truth to power man we yeah right he was a man's man. He was a carpenter. Yeah, he, just, he, he knew what hard work was. Pulled himself up from his bootstraps from the backwoods of Nazareth to be crucified in Jerusalem. That's, that's power. Right? Well, look at him and go, yeah, he was a tough, but man, look at the compassion he showed. Look at the, the mercy that he offered to the people who messed up. Yeah, I like that. And he made some pretty cool promises give you a life defined as joy and, and peace and love hey all right i can sign up for that right we, we see the personality of jesus and we go yes i am attracted to the personality but if all you're attracted to is the personality you're not attracted to the saving faith that jesus has come if all you see is, the, is the, the teaching, if all you see is the miracles, if all you see is, is that, it is superficial and it is not a saving belief. And that is what is going on here. They're attracted to the personality. They're attracted to the miracles. But they are not willing to go that one more step. They can't handle the truth. They don't want to take that next step and go, yeah, you're right. You are God in the flesh who has come down to save us from our sins. But Jesus tells them, He says, look, I want you to know what it means. I want you to have a marker in your life that can tell you that you are my disciple. And He says, it's this, it says, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. Some translations say, if you continue in my word. Now, one of the dangers about study in the Bible is, we know John 14, 15, and 16. We have to remember, we're, we're, we're not there yet. In those three chapters, Jesus really lays out what it means to abide in Him. But, but we're not there yet. We're, we're, we're in John 8. Yet we know what the word abide means. The word abide means that we continue in. We, we remain in. The negative that helps us understand this is down in verse 37. It says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to me because my word finds no place in you. So those are the, the two dichotomies, either the word abiding in or the word not being in. So abiding is a continual residing of Jesus' words in us. It's just it fills us up on the inside that we we can't contain it. It it means that we submit ourselves to every teaching in the Bible, every area of our life, every thought, action, deed is submissive and conforms to the truth of Jesus' words, conforms to the truth of Scripture and what it has taught us. It means if we come to a teaching that, that startles us or we don't like, then it becomes upon, incumbent upon us as a believer to submit ourselves to the authority of His Word. I think so many people in, in the world in general and it has trickled, I think, into the church live compartmental, compartmentalized lives. Right? You, you've got this, 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 this work life you know from from 8 to 5 and debbie made the mistake of making eye contact and smiling so from from 8 to 5 i'm a i'm a and i'm not picking on debbie i'm just using her work as an example from 8 to 5 i'm a i'm a or nurse right and and that that's compartment number 1 and then i get home and from 5 to 7 when i'm making dinner i'm i'm, I'm debbie the wife that's that's compartment number 2 and then the kids come over in the evening Compartment number three—that's that's Debbie, the mom, and and everything—and and thank you, Debbie, for letting me pick on you, right? But 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 we do that. We compartmentalize our lives. I'm this person here, compartment one, compartment two, and we can have two, three, ten—I don't know—and and there's this idea that compartment one is completely devoid of compartment ten, and it sounds good, and part of that is because. People want to hold to one truth in compartment one, but a very different truth in compartment 10. So if I compartmentalize my life, I can hold to truth one over here and truth over here, even though the two truths are mutually exclusive. And I think believers have fallen into that category. We have a, a, a church compartment. I'm a Christian. It's Sunday morning, 10 to 12, and I, I am, I'm in that compartment. But something over here happens. Well, I like this better, so I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it over here. And, and, and we've tried to walk away from the truth that every aspect of our life, every compartment of our life is under the rule of God's Word. That's what Jesus means. If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples, that every compartment of your life falls under His power, and then it's not a one time and done, it is a continual residing under it. So whatever changes over here, or whatever changes in in five, ten years down the road in our lives, it doesn't matter because I'm still abiding in the Word. I'm still allowing the Word to transform me. I am still submitting myself to that. So to abide implies a lifetime. right? When I was writing this this sermon, um, y'all know that I bought my grand, grandfather's house. Um, I was sitting there, I was writing it, and it was in the morning and I, I had my cup of coffee and um, you, you ever see sometimes and, and just you, you have memories, right? It just it just pops into your mind. My grandfather drank coffee his whole life. He drank instant coffee his whole life. And and it, it, every morning, my grandmother would go on and she she they had one of those old kettles you put on the stove and it would whistle, and she'd put the water on and she'd come over and he'd he'd put the coffee in, in his cup. And as a kid, as a little kid, I loved helping him with this because he drunk Maxwell House coffee. It had the, uh, the red lid with the big white star. Um, and for some reason, the, 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 it was glass. And there was a certain noise that when you put that big lid on and spun it, I see some of you shaking. You know the noise that it makes. I, you can't describe it, but you know the noise. Right? And, and then he would pour his coffee and he'd serve it in his cup. And then he poured it in a saucer you' all have parents or grandparents that drunk coffee out of a saucer I I, I I he always did, but I was sitting there and and i was as I was thinking about this and just thinking about my grandfather thinking about the instant coffee, it just made me think we live in a society where we have instant Christians, and instant Christians are as weak as instant coffee right I, I mean, let's be honest, instant coffee is not good. <laughs> It'll do in a pinch, but it ain't good. (laughs) But that's what we have. That's what Jesus is talking about. Instant Christians who are attracted to the personality of Jesus and and, and they pop up and they'll follow Jesus. And we know this. We have seen this in our lives and it grieves us. People who pop up. It's like they're, they're team Jesus. And then. Three, four, five months later, you look around and you go, where'd they go? It's because they're not abiding. Because the mark of a disciple is someone who abides their entire life in Jesus. I'm just going to say this because I wrote it. All right. The genuineness of your faith will be confirmed on the day of your funeral. Because at that point, people will be able to look back and say, you know what? They abided in Christ. You know what? They fought the good fight. They finished the race. Jesus says, if you are my disciple, you abide in my truth. He then says, if you are my disciples, that you're going to be set free by the truth. Now, I find this really weird. To me, the order is wrong. Anybody else read this and think the order is wrong? If you are my disciples, you abide in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, shouldn't the truth set me free first before I'm a disciple? I found the word order interesting. But what's happening is as we continually abide in Jesus' word, he continually sets our free sets us free. All right? This this is it's it's a moral commitment to God's word. Yes, it, it, it is salvific. We come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, and and we are in that moment, we are saved. But remember, he's talking about what does it mean to be a disciple? What is a genuine mark? You, you abide in my word, and so as you abide in my word, you are continually set free. You know, and it, it, that's the only way it happens. It's, it's not an academic pursuit. We don't. It'd be great. Right? It'd be great if, if we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior and all our sin impulses were gone. It wouldn't end up with a story about a pool table in a marine barracks. All right. So we're going to be set free. The truth does that. And what Jesus is saying is for you to be set free, then if you've got to be set free, what is your default position? Bondage. Our default position is bondage. And when we are told this, our immediate response is the same thing is that, no, we're not in bondage to anything. Right. And we make the same appeal that they do. They said, look, we're the offspring of Abraham. We've, we've never been enslaved to anything. We appeal to our self-sufficiency and we do the same thing. We're not in bondage to anything. Right? I, I can quit any time I want to. How many times have you quit? A hundred. Okay. Okay. Right? We, we, we think that, that we, we can do it. We're not, we're not in bondage, but we are and we need to be set free by the truth. And and here in this passage, it's really kind of funny. We're the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved by anyone. They're in the temple celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles that is a reminder that they were freed from what? Bondage. (laughs) There is a Roman garrison in the corner of the temple. So it's kind of ironic that they would say that because their whole story is one of slavery. Yet Jesus, He understands them, right? He knows, He knows what is in their heart. So he, he says, look, I'm telling you, truly, truly, you need to pay attention to this. I'm not talking about your physical slavery, even though you obviously don't know your history. Well, I'm talking about being a slave to sin. It's a spiritual slavery. And when you go through Scripture and you read about sin, it is mentioned in the times of, in in terms of bondage, slavery, chains, being a master over people. They are slaves to sin. We are slaves to sin. They look good on the outside, but they're slaves to sin. This morning, I love all of you. You know that I do. We look good on the outside because we're here, we're in church, and we've got our Bibles. We look good, but we're still in bondage we are in, we are enslaved to sin and we need to be set free from that sin as jesus points out here your lineage th- doesn't have anything to do it they keep pointing, look we're the descendants of abraham look at, at, at what we're doing we're self-sufficient we can do it and he says guys you're in slavery and as long as you are a slave, it means that you don't remain in the house forever. And what he says is, if you're a slave, you have no guaranteed place in the house. Slaves can be sold. Slaves can be dismissed or worse. <laughs> if you're a slave in the house, you have no control over yourself. You're in bondage. He said, but look, 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 there's a way for freedom. And the way that you are made free is if the Son comes and sets you free, you will be free indeed. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you've come to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Again, they don't want to accept the truth. They can't handle the truth. But here I am to set you free. And since, and look at what he's saying here, here's his argument, right? The Son sets you free. He says, You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I've heard from the Father. What he is saying is, The Father who has authority to free you has sent me the Son who also has the same authority to free you from your sins. You can be free from them, they're in bondage to sins. You don't have to flip there, but Galatians 5, right? 19 through 21. The works of the flesh listing all kinds of sins, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. All right. Those are the types of sins that they are enslaved to, that we are enslaved to, that humanity is enslaved to. And when Paul writes that, he says, if you remain enslaved to those sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't. But in their misguided idea of freedom, that they're not enslaved to any sins, they're not in physical bondage either. And then in our misguided idea of of, of freedom, we have come up with this idea that freedom means that we, we can do Anything that we want. Right? Last week, 300 million people or 300 million tickets were sold to win a $2.2 billion Powerball with the idea in the back of everybody's head if I win it, I'll be free to do whatever I want. Is that freedom? Is that freedom? Just to be able to do whatever I want? Right? Is, is freedom to be able to do everything that was listed there in Galatians 5? I mean, let's also be honest and, and let's not be ridiculous and argue that sins don't bring pleasure. Right? Hebrews 11.25 says, The fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin brings pleasure. Any of you ever feel good after passing on that little bit of gossip that happened at work? Anybody ever feel good? Well, I, I I told them and I put them in their place. It feels good. Right? And you do it again. But the pleasure is fleeting. Why? Because it left. It doesn't last. It doesn't stay. And you keep going forward and you keep going forward until eventually there's no more pleasure to be derived. And you look around and you see the condition of your life and you go... I'm free to do whatever I want to, but this freedom thing really stinks because look at what it's gotten me. Because you're not really free. You're not really free. You're in bondage to sin. But the good news is what is said in Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke slavery For freedom, Christ has set us free. He has set us free from the power of every sin in that list in Galatians and every other sin that there is to freedom. And when he sets us free, look at this. This ties back into what John just said in Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Right? Let me just, again, let me read John 8 first, all right? John 8, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Galatians 4, 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus is saying in the temple, that if you are my disciple, that you are going to be set free by the truth. You'll be removed from bondage and you're going to be set up in the house so that you are now a son. He says, I have the power to free you from the bondage that you are in. And when we understand that, then we understand that true biblical freedom then is, and I'm going to quote, quote, The liberty to do what we ought is a genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. We don't find pleasure in the sins of the flesh. We find pleasure in doing the works of God. So Jesus says, if you're a disciple, then you're going to be set free to do what you ought because it pleases you because it pleases me. But then finally, Jesus says, disciples live in truth, live in truth. Pharisees continue to argue, right? You go to verse 38, or excuse me, verse 39. You can almost hear them stuttering. Abraham is our father. I mean, they're they're just, they're not going to do it. They can't handle the truth. They're not going to give it. Abraham is our father. And Jesus is like, look, I've I've already said that Abraham's your father. I, I agree to that. But if Abraham was your father, you would, you would be doing his works. And they're going, uh, but, but, but we are. And Jesus is going, no, you're not, because you're trying to kill me. Abraham didn't try to kill God. Abraham didn't react and, and throw up his hands at God and, and revile him and rebel against them, or get, excuse me, against God. He says, you are doing works, though. You are doing works and you are doing the works of your father. It's just you're making your appeal to the wrong father. (laughs) He says, because if God was your father, then you would love me for I came from God and I'm here and I'm telling you the truth. So Jesus is right there pointing out to them that they have been living by lies. And he says in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. And Satan, he couldn't handle the truth. Instead, he is a liar. And when he speaks, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar. And the father of lives. So he looks at them and says, you're living by lives. And since you're living by lives, you really are appealing to your father. But it's Satan. It's, it's, it's the devil. It's the one, right? And we can go back to Genesis 3 and we can see this. He's talking to the Pharisees who should know this. The religious teachers of the day. You should know this. Genesis 3. The accuser enters the garden. And he talks to talks to Eve, and you remember the conversation, right? Do you remember what he calls in to question as he's sitting there and he's talking? Did God actually say? Did God did God really really mean that? He goes on, and then in verse four. You will not surely die. Eve takes the fruit and eats. Adam takes the fruit and eats. And then we get to Genesis 5, 5. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Go all the way through Genesis 5, Genesis 5 is an incredibly depressing chapter because the last three words of every verse is, and he died. So let's go back to Genesis 3. Who was standing in the truth? Who was the liar god was telling the truth satan was the liar now we get all the way up to john chapter 8 and jesus is saying look you're living by the lies that tell you that you're good enough that you're doing the works of god that your pedigree is right that you're self-sufficient that you're not a slave to sin you're living in underneath all these lies and living by these lies and living by those lies means you are living under the authority of your father not yahweh who delivered you from bondage, not Yahweh who sent me on the mission to redeem you to say repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, not Yahweh who sent me to take you out of bondage and make you a sin and said you're living by your father, Satan, who would love for you and love for us to continue to live under his lies because if we live under his lies, we end up in the same place that every person in Genesis 5 did. And we died. But we've already been told that if we die in our sins, we won't be able to see the Father. Jesus says to them, if you believe in me, I've come to set you free from your sins so that you may have life. And they won't handle the truth. So disciples live in truth we live in the truth of who Christ is how do we get to the abiding of John 31 day by day by day living in the truth and as we live in the truth day by day you know what that does it creates in us the growing desire to continue to live in the truth of His Word. And so we continue to do that. It provides a foundation for us and an anchor for us so when the world goes crazy, our anchor still holds. We're not tossed and turned. Day by day, we see our Savior and and, and we see Christ more and more clearly each and every day that leads to a lifelong of abiding, which leads us to a freedom that comes only through believing in Him because He is the truth. And He is the only one who can set us free. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, My great Redeemer praise! He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phallus clean. His blood availed for me. To God be all glory, praise, and love by now and ever given by saints below and saints above, the church in earth, in heaven. We may not be a thousand tongues this morning. But we can sing our great Redeemer's praise because Jesus stands before us as the truth and says, if you believe in who I am, if you abide in Me, if you live in the freedom that I have given you, if you live in Me day by day by day, then as My disciple, on the day of your funeral, when your faith is confirmed, you're going to see the greatest joy of heaven and you're going to see me face-to-face because you have proved that you can handle it. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe.